Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another, yet another, of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. Great to be back. And, and I was telling our early audience up there on KTTH in Seattle, the original, I call them the Know Your Risk OGs, right? The Know Your Risk original gangsters. Uh, just because we, st- you know, we started off humbly. Not that KTTH is a humble station. It's not. It's a great station in Seattle. But uh, with one little station, wondering if it was going to last six months. Here we are six years later in Oregon and Washington, multiple stations there in Phoenix and all over the place. So uh, thanks to you guys um, and thanks to our clients. and, And hopefully we're putting valuable information out there. Anyway, what I was telling them was today... And again, we try to do this every week. After all, the whole gist of the show, right? Do we want to get clients off of the show? I'll just say it right now. Yeah, right. It's one of the forms of marketing. Um, But one of the other things that keeps me passionately going on, and and I'll just tell you, you know, by God's good grace, our firm has grown enough to where we don't need to do the radio station every single, you know, we don't need to do the radio every week. Um, but it's really become a passionate thing for me, and it's become a wonderful weekly exercise. I've said this before. It's become a wonderful weekly exercise to really till through all the things that we've been looking at, the things that we're watching, and really distill them down. You know, Because that's what you have to do when you're preparing for a show. You've got this universe of information, and you've got to distill down, especially for a one-hour show. You've got to distill stuff down to a point you know, to, 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 to pull out the highlights, the things that you really focus on, the things that you think are really important. And um, I just really enjoy it. And one of the other things I enjoy about it is to the best of our ability, we're trying to make sense of things and give you real information as opposed to so much of this just nonsense that these talking heads spew out. And I, you know, I don't, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I don't mean that as an anti CNBC guy or somebody that, you know, just because some of these people you hear, it's just like, it's like just disdain. I get it. I get it. I just think disdain is such a strong emotion to inject into a conversation about investments, right? But there's disdain for the mainstream media and the approach that they take, especially on the investment side. Uh, And I think some of that's warranted. But anyway, getting back to what I was saying, um, I'm really passionate about giving people real information because there's so much nonsense out there. And um, so that's what we're going to really focus on today. Try to make sense of what's going on in markets like I was telling our folks at KTTH, the question I keep hearing, as a matter of fact, I got a guy this morning, great guy, um, coming out. We got, a, we got an issue under our house. For our listeners in Arizona, you will not be able to relate to this, okay? Our listeners in Phoenix are going to be like, you know, what is that? Um, we got an issue in our house for the last two years. Uh, we get some flooding in our, uh, in, our, in our crawl space under the vapor guard and on top, which means you got water coming in from the groundwater and water coming in from the, uh, the ducts too, or not ducts, but the, the heating vents, uh, in the house anyway. And, uh, we ended up sitting there talking about markets for half hour in the, in the front yard. And even his thing was saying, what in the world is going on? I can't make any sense of this. And this guy actually worked as a broker for about a decade. And that's the number one thing I keep hearing. Um, and I think we I think we can provide some clarity. Now I think I'm always going to put that caveat in there. Nobody, including me, knows exactly what markets are going to do and what economies are going to do. But all too often, I see people grabbing on to a metric, right? A thing that they think is important. And we're going to talk about that in the next segment. The next segment really is going to be about what's going on in the macro economy because I think there's a lot of confusion there. Um. You know, you had jobs report come out today that everybody's touting, oh, it's really strong. And yet the market's down and uh, rates are moving back up. And, you know, it just seems like chaos. 
So we're going to try to make some sense of that in the market update. So let's let's get into that now, looking at the jobs report, because what you'll see is a jo- the jobs report came in very strong. Um, it was stronger than I expected, but it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that we thought about going into this year, and it looks, let me emphasize again, it looks like this is the case. We thought you would see two really big conflicting macro trends, especially here in the United States. And those conflicting macro trends would be a big spending on travel, right? Big oil draws, substantial oil and energy demand, and a lot of consumer spending that we expected to stay very strong through the summer. Why? It's the first summer off a lockdown, right? Off a complete lockdown where, you know, I think there's content. I mean, there's those of us that lived last summer like there wasn't, but there are a lot of people for a variety of reasons, age, health, all that kind of stuff that didn't, right? That delayed traveling. You know, this summer you've now got flights with no masks, that frees up a lot of people. You know, there's a contingency of people that refuse to travel if they had to wear a mask. So you had this unleashing of consumer spending and additional stimulus spending that we thought would really bolster the job market through the summer and possibly through part of Q3. And that would be conflicting with general slowdowns other places in the economy due to rising interest rates and then kind of just I don't know if you could say it's kind of economic exhaustion a little bit and and an end to stimulus that really appears to be what's going on because you're seeing these very, um, you know, income, you're just seeing these very conflicting data pieces. And what's really interesting to me about that is everybody is grabbing on to basically the one positive out there, which is the labor market. And, you know, to add 520, what was it, 528,000 jobs or something like that in the, in the uh, you know, that's a, it's a big deal. Um, but we don't really think it, it tells the whole story, right? Uh, and part of that is because of the way that the unemployment rate is, is calculated. And we've talked about this extensively on the show before, so I don't want to uh, bore, you know, our regular listeners but people need to understand something about the unemployment rate. Now, the jobs numbers that we got out today, they're real. But the unemployment rate is a hard one to gauge because if you had an economy, let's say you had an economy that was at 10% unemployment and you didn't add any new jobs and you didn't lose any new jobs for an extended period of time, despite the fact you didn't have any net changes right, in jobs, the unemployment rate would keep coming down over time. right? So we got to keep that in mind. So I don't, I don't think it tells the whole story. Um, second of all, like I said, this unleashing of consumer spending, people need to understand something really important. Is the job market sending bad signals? No, there's nothing negative about the jobs report. What's amusing to me is labor is one of the ultimate lagging indicators. Okay, meaning if you think about it, businesses do not reduce headcount for the most part. There's there's some give and take in this, obviously. But for the most part, businesses don't reduce headcount in anticipation of a slowdown, right? They do it when the slowdown actually arrives, because until the slowdown actually arrives, reducing headcount could cost them revenue and profit, right? So labor tends to be the ultimate indicator or the ultimate lagging indicator, right? You know, think of, think of, uh, think of 2008, 2009, right? Unemployment was still pretty nice in 2008 when Lehman, when Lehman declared uh, bankruptcy. Now it ticked down a little bit, but remember they, it's also different this time because of COVID, right? So much of the quote unquote new jobs aren't new jobs. I laugh every time. And again, every president does this. I'm not picking on Biden, not in an unfair way here. Um, but it's funny, we've created new, you didn't create anything. This is just jobs coming back that were lost during the, during the deal, right? During the, during the whole COVID nonsense. Um, and what's really interesting to me as far as markets go is while you see this really quote unquote strong jobs market, you're starting to see regular layoffs being announced, uh, 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 around technology. And when you think about the disproportionate level or the disproportionate amount that 
tech now, you know, in terms of market cap, in terms of all these different things, in terms of profits, when you look at the disproportionate level that, or, 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 or disproportionate amount, if you will, that tech makes up of the indexes and they make up of total earnings and all these different things, I, I, I think that what, in, in my opinion right now, what we're seeing with all these layoffs, and I'm sure there's tech companies out there hiring. I'm just saying on average, you just keep seeing, you know, layoffs being announced, headcounts being reduced. I really think as far as the market's concerned and the general economy is concerned, that if you're going to tell me, you know, if you're going to ask me, Zach, what's more important, if we're, if we're looking at job reductions and layoffs being announced pretty widely across the tech sector versus the jobs report today, what's more important? I think it's the tech. And the reason why I say that is because of, you know, seasonal numbers, right? Uh, This unleashing of money and travel this summer, causing people to have to staff up more than they otherwise would. Um, And meanwhile, you know, tech jobs aren't seasonal, right? So I, I, I just, now I could be wrong. I just think that, again, as it relates to markets, as the overall economy, I think that what is happening in tech wor- in the tech world is a little more important. Um, the energy and that gas situation is also interesting. I think that that is signaling – let's separate oil and that gas. We're going to do a uh, – we're going to do a whole section in our macro discussion coming up in the next segment. We're going to address, address uh, oil and that gas in greater detail. But I think that that's what you see uh, happening as far as oil is concerned. I, I think it's showing uh, demand starting to slow down on the oil side. Um, and, and maybe not as much here in the U.S., but remember, this is a global market. And this is what we've been saying all along, guys, is that I really don't care about the short-term machinations and markets that if the Federal Reserve continues on their rate hiking cycle and the dollar stays where it is, I, you might buck it for a quarter or two, but things are going to slow down. They, they have to. Okay. And again, I pointed out, and, and what's funny, what's funny is you're seeing that reflected in earnings as well. Um, it was really interesting. Apple announced a, pr- a good quarter, right? But if you looked at the underlying business, now, I'm kind of switching around. Like I said, we're going to cover oil in greater detail. But like I told you, this drop in oil is showing a bit of a slowdown, okay? Corporations' earnings are showing the exact same thing, even among the stalwarts. So that's, that's, that's why I'm bridging these two here. But what we saw in Apple's quarter that was good... Uh, and I'm going off my analyst numbers. He's usually spot on, but if it's a little off, it, it's probably due to a game of telephone. But generally, the general concept is correct. Apple's numbers were good, but Apple hedges currencies, which they should. They're a global company, right? Good for them for doing that. If you took out their currency hedging, their revenues were actually down 3%. Now, that's not, a, that's not horrible, right? That's it's no big deal. But that doesn't happen very often, Right. I think what that's showing you is, again, that economic slowdown, and it makes sense. The other thing was is that in places like Japan, their numbers were the worst, right? What were we telling you? We are like, hey, look at Japan, for instance. If the dollar index is above 100 and rates are moving up and oil is above 90, it's like throwing a 30 or 40% tax on the people of Japan. They're not going to quit buying iPhones, but they won't buy as many. That is sure enough the case. And if you look at their sales across the, the, the world, that is the case. Right here in the United States, they remain strong, which, again, due to the stimulus and the value of the dollar and all these different things shouldn't be surprising to people. But you're starting to see that fraying in emerging markets, and it's just only a matter of time. Dollars up, oils up, commodities up, rates going up. Um, it's just a, it's a horrible, it's a horrible, horrible recipe for emerging markets. And I would even posit to say that it's virtually it's an environment that is almost impossible to generate sustained or real growth in emerging markets. Um, and, and again, you're seeing that pretty widely. There's a couple exceptions, but pretty widely, um, you know, across a company like Shopify. We talked about them last week. You know, they announced earnings. Um, I want to say their quarter over quarter growth rate was 15 percent. Again, 15 percent growth year over year is not bad. It's a bit confounding for a stock that's trading at 12 to 15 times revenue with essentially flat to zero cash flow, right? Again, you know, that growth rate for Shopify was 40, 50, 60%. Okay, now 
if you're growing revenues at 40 to 50, 60%, you know, I mean, 20 times revenue is just an insane price to pay for a company, but you can, you know, you can kind of understand why, you know, it's a big company doing 2 billion a year to 3 billion a year in revenue growing at 50 to 60%. It's pretty substantial. When that growth rate slows down to 15 and you're still at 10 to 12, 15 times revenue, it just, it's a head scratcher. I think their slowdown in revenue is telling you a story. Um, and then the other thing that you want to remember is, you know, I think that these problems in tech are going to be magnified on a macroeconomic basis because these are some of the highest paying jobs in the world. A lot of these people have big te- stock packages. Think what think of what's happened to a lot of their stock options, right? Big sources of wealth that were feeding money into the economy have been lit up. So. I at this point, I don't think the numbers, while being surprisingly strong on the labor side, I don't think they really sig- I, I, they, they don't signal that everything's okay. Uh, the preponderance of evidence still points to a slowdown. Um, you know, right down to having two quarters of negative growth, and now we're saying, you know, that's uh, anyway. I just couldn't help but laughing, right? Because the traditional definition of a recession is two quarters of negative growth. And now everybody's going, yeah, but the job market. And I'm like, well, guys, but this isn't – if this was a normal scenario, right? If these were normal times, and let's just say the last two or three years COVID hadn't happened, I would be more on that side of it because I'd be like, look, guys, whether you've got negative growth or not, whatever, it's anomaly caused by inflation. The job market's telling the real story. But remember, the job market, it's, it's not normal. Like I said, this isn't – we didn't just create 528,000 jobs. Those are jobs that are coming back that were lost from COVID, right? So you got to take that with a very, you know, a beach ball size grain of salt. Um, and, and, you know, you got, I, I think you got to dig deeper. The other thing that I think is amusing is you have all of these, uh, you got a big contingency of permables out there really holding on to that labor market deal. And, or, you know, in the jobs numbers and going, hey, this economy isn't going into recession. Look at this and blah, 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 and buy tech. And you turn around and go, guys, if this isn't going into recession, if we're not looking at a global slowdown, how do, you, how do you explain energy? And if we're not going into a global slowdown, and this is just a soft patch, <laughs> I mean, energy prices are going to go back through the roof. So you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say that things aren't slowing down and we're going to be okay and you know, just kind of whistle past the, the, the whole energy situation and go, but oil falling makes sense. It doesn't. Right. When you understand how tight supplies still are in oil and you can see that through continued inventory draws, when you look at how tight oil markets still are, the only thing that could be pushing that price down is is demand slowing around the world. If demand slowing around the world, then, you know, because I think markets right now are treating this like, oh, good, perfect. Yeah. Job market's still strong. Oil prices are pulling down. Inflation's going away. Not so. Uh, Listen to Neil Kashkari's quotes recently talking about how they are actually seeing inflation spreading and based on his statements. Now, the other thing, when we're listening to Federal Reserve guys, members of the FOMC, the Federal Open Markets Committee, we got to take everything with a grain of salt because they will manipulate economies and markets through speaking. They've talked about it, right? I'm not it's not a conspiracy. They, you know, that's one of their quote unquote tools in their toolbox is job owning markets, you know, because think about it. If you can just talk and, and, and deliver a couple speeches and get the res- desired effect without raising interest rates. And that's, that's what you do. Right. So we got to take what he says with a big grain of salt as well. But if you listen to Neil Kashkari, it sounds like the Fed is legitimately concerned that they're not seeing the slowdown in inflation. And quite honestly, I'll tell you that inflation has been more sticky than we thought it was going to be. I thought you'd already see it coming off. Now, ironically enough, in kind of in the back of my mind, I didn't think you'd see any potential slowdown in inflation, at least until the summer was over. But um, so that's kind of the way it's played out. Having said that, like I said, it's been it's been stickier than I would have thought. Um, the other thing you're going to see here, you, you see bond yields popping on a day like today when markets are down. So once again, we're back to stocks down, bonds down on the same day and significantly so. Um, basically that is bond markets anticipating now, you know, I think a lot of people were, were starting to say, okay, we think the fed is almost done. Maybe they raise another 25, 50 basis points in September, but that's probably going to be it. Well, jobs report comes out today and it, and it 
kind of suggests the opposite, suggests you might have a bigger raise on the horizon. So that's why bond yields are getting hit. Uh, that's why stocks are getting hit too, because rates are going up. Um, so, I, you know, I think treasuries are interesting here because until I really see evidence, and I've just told you what I thought about labor, right? It's a lagging indicator. Until I see evidence here, you know, I was really tempted to get long treasuries at, when the 10 year hit 3.5. I probably should have done it. We, we made more money than that on other trades, uh, but probably should have done it. If we can get that yield to the 10 year back up to three, shoot, even three and a quarter, um, that would be an interesting level to buy. Because, again, I just everything but the jobs market is really showing a slowdown. It just is. Now, there's some people out there that are going to call it soft pats. There's some people out there that are going to call it, you know, apocalypse now. The world is ending. Uh, you know, I think I understand why people are hyperbolic when they come. You know, you got people. The whole world is about to crash. Stocks are going to make new highs. Very little room in the middle. Um I just, this is too unique of a situation to do that, to make these hyperbolic statements and, and market prognostications. Um, you know, but I continue to just, let's go back and look at the fundamentals, slowing economy, rising rates, earnings moving south. They look to be trending that way. I think that, again, due to the seasonality and the earnings anomalies you had in the fourth quarter of last year, I think fourth quarter is going to be a massive year-over-year reduction in earnings. Um I I just I think that now how bad it gets, how long it is, who knows? That's a type that's a type of prognostications that we want to stay away from. But but we in our macro section coming up next, we're going to look a little more globally now to try to get a big picture on this. And I'm working on bringing some guests on that that will allow us to delve into this a little bit deeper, dive into this a little bit deeper and get to the bottom of it. But we're going to take a step back. We're going to look at the world, right? We're going to look at energy, and we're also going to focus on China. There's interesting things going on in China that I don't think are getting enough press. I mean, I think all the wrong things get a lot of press, and none of the right things get enough press. But So that's not new. Uh, also, some really – and part of that discussion will include PC demand. I think that personal computer demand is a big metric. Um, I think it's a leading indicator, right? Because if PC demand is slowing down, that means people are not looking at hiring at the same pace going forward. They're not looking at spending more additional money. So anyway, um, but that's about it, guys. I think other than that, things are really detached from fundamentals still. If I was not a professional money manager and for people at home, I would be sitting on very little risk exposure period. Uh, I'd be either hedged up or sitting on mountains of cash. Um, this is still a very expensive market with earnings moving the wrong direction, interest rates moving the wrong direction. And if you're one of those home gamers and you're flummoxed and you're confused and you've been getting hammered because you're shorting things that are going up and you're buying things that are going down, give us a call guys. I think that this is just going to get harder and harder and harder. And this is why we rely on a risk management process. If you don't have one, you need one. And if you don't have one, give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. Follow me on Twitter, at KYR Radio. We got to take a quick break. We'll get right back to discuss the macroeconomic picture, taking that lens out a little bit wider to try to figure out what's really going on in the economy. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free 
free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. And let's move on to the macro picture. Um, and I'm really working on getting somebody or a couple of people. I don't want to say any names yet because I don't have anything dialed down. But I really want to get some people on that have really dug deep into, into what's happening in China, that really understand that economy. Um, and, and I think we all know that China is important for a whole host of reasons. First of all, it's the second largest economy in the world. Third, when you look at the amount of global growth that it has made up over the last 15 years, it's astounding. Um, when you look at the demand that's come out of China, it's astounding. Um, when, you, when you look at things that have come out of China, like COVID, it's astounding. Uh, and I, I, I think that that is really going to be a key. The other thing I don't think people appreciate enough of is that one of the biggest drivers that helped the global economy recover from the financial crisis was China. Um, when we've cited that we've cited this stat on the show before, and again, don't quote me, but it's something like, between the years of, I want to say, like 2008 and 2012, China consumed or poured more concrete than we had in the previous 80, right? It, it's, it's at a scale that I don't think most people can wrap their heads around because it's just unbelievable. Um, and they are making some – I don't know I, – again, I want to avoid hyperbole when we're talking about something as, as delicate as this. But – there seems to be some serious saber rattling coming out of China and really pushing the limits on how they're handling Taiwan at the moment. And at the moment, I, and again, I, I'm not an expert on this, so I don't want to speak out of school here, but I've heard some people describe the war games that are currently going on over there with China is, is almost like a, um, an embargo, like they've surrounded the island, right? Now, that may be hyperbolic. Don't take, you know, don't take that to the bank. But they're clearly making, how would, how would you say it? They're clearly escalating their boldness as it relates to how they are interacting with Taiwan, their posture with Taiwan, the amount of troops they have down on the, on the border. Um, and to me... It makes some sense. So taking a step back, you got to remember that China operates off of, you know, extensive planning, right? They're planning years out. They've got the hundred year plan and they have not been shy about this, that they believe they have a sovereign right to Taiwan. And I kind of put it in a similar category as Hong Kong except they don't have a legal agreement to take Taiwan over, right? They did with the British. Now, they, 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 asked, they, they moved up that timetable. They didn't honor the terms of that contract with England. But I don't think anybody wanted to make too big of a stink about it on the international, uh, you know, on the international level, in the international playing field, because they were going to turn it over eventually anyway, right? And I believe 2050, I believe, was the, the handover date. Taiwan's a different animal altogether, right? There's none of that scenario. Taiwan's a sovereign government. Now, China does not see it that way. And China will cancel you for calling it a sovereign government. And they will throw fits if somebody calls it a sovereign government. And you could see that by their reaction to Pelosi visiting Taiwan. And that is very interesting to me. Because we know they want it. We know they believe in it. And you can make some really big correlations between China taking over Taiwan and Russia taking over Ukraine. Each situation is different, driven by different things, but both, but the similarities are both governments essentially view those countries as realistically 
in reality, and these are their this, this is their thinking, right? In reality, they may say Ukraine and Taiwan, but they really belong to us. And one of my thoughts all along watching this Russia-Ukraine invasion is that I don't think anybody has watched this closer than Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. Why is that important? Here's why it's important. It is a pen- First of all, when you consider what's going on with Russia and U- Ukraine, and again, when you're talking about war, guys, I want to avoid hyperbole and I want to just look at the, the, the field for the way it is. And I'm not suggesting I think this is going to happen. What I'm saying is it's scary because you can see the road there. We're not there yet, but you can see it from here, right? You have, you have the makings for some serious international conflicts, potentially a world war. Is that my base case? No. Okay. I'm not even, I'm not telling you to prepare for that, but I think like I said, I think China has been sitting back watching this. And I honestly believe that the current political setup, and I'm not blaming this all on Biden. I'm not blaming it all on one party. I think that there are some, I think that we have very suspect leadership at the top. Uh, for those of you who listen to the show long, uh, long enough, you know that I'm equally critical as on either side of the aisle. But I don't think any real rational thinking human being, regardless of political affiliation, can look at this administration. And one of the first things that comes to mind is competency. OK. Now, you could say this. There's people who say the same thing about the last year. That's fine. I'm not making again. It's not a political statement. Just sit back and look at it as if you were China. And if I'm looking through China eyes, when I look at what I think is pretty incompetent leadership at the top and then also massive political divisiveness cultural divisiveness on a level that we probably haven't seen since the 60s maybe ever you know it, it, certainly the civil war was worse but i think that you know I think you can make an argument for the current cultural divide being even bigger and 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 more of a problem than it was in the 60s i think the only thing that you know that is clearly worse would have been the civil war um and if i'm those guys it makes sense they made the moves when they made them Right. Russia finally pulls the trigger on Ukraine. Was it uh, what was that? Was that 11 months into Biden's administration? And again, I'm not putting it all on Biden's lap. I'm saying I think it's a confluence of events. I think the other thing they saw was an opportunity as far as energy goes, meaning that China, that Russia knew that they had the most leverage they were probably ever going to have. Right. Due to the price of natural gas and the fact that Europe stupidly. And both Obama and Trump warned about this were way too reliant on Russian energy. And so I think it was a confluence of events. I think they said now's the time. What's interesting is you look at China and I, if I was them, you know, and they know, right, if they're going to take over Taiwan, they know they're going to be persona non grata on the on the international stage for at least a time. I think probably the math, if I'm them, is stepping back and going, okay, is the price worth it? And based on what you're seeing in the Russia-Ukraine thing, I think the price to take over Taiwan is probably as cheap as it's going to be, it, and if not, close. And that's a serious problem, and here's why. If, if they move on Taiwan— You're going to see sanctions as great or greater thrown at them than were thrown at Russia. Okay, now step back and look at U.S. companies. Now, guys, and I'm not trying to avoid, right? I, these things are, these, these developments are horrible for the world far beyond their impact on markets. But, but that's what we're doing here. So in, in no way am I saying the worst thing that would come out of a China invasion of Taiwan would be markets going down. I'm not saying that. The cost of human life, I mean, just it, it's, it's going to be a mess. But if they do that, they're going to get sanctioned. And one of the things that I could see happening is them seizing U.S. assets inside the country as a response to those sanctions, right? Because they're going to answer back. 
And then I can see U.S. governments declaring some type of mandatory offshoring of China. I could see companies doing it themselves, trying to move assets out of China as quick as possible. They're going to be sanctioned on a monetary basis. If they're sanctioned on a monetary basis, that means the inflow of dollar stop, which I think makes a devaluation of their currency inevitable. I mean, I think it's inevitable anyway, but I think it makes it inevitable pretty quickly. Um, and again, that's a problem. Why is that such a big problem? Go just listen to earnings reports. Go listen to corporations talk. And I'm talking everything from, you know, Microsoft to Costco. Okay. Virtually everybody's long-term growth plan is China. Okay. They, and they're already getting growth from China, right? Costco's already made tons of money from their Chinese operations. If they've got to devalue the yuan by 30, 40%, let's say, (laughs) you know, barring nationalization of the assets and country and barring the U.S. government making companies move out of China in response and barring the negative impacts of, you know, sanctions and all that kind of stuff. Bottom line is Chinese, the Chinese consumer will not be able to purchase nearly as much stuff from Costco or Microsoft or anybody else. It's a, it's, you could see it, you know, I think you'd also see a Chinese real estate implosion, which is going to decimate a ton of wealth, which is going to further impact the global economy. Um, and then, like I said, these are just economic impacts. We're not even talking about life. We're not even talking about the absolute mess it's going to make on an international scale. Uh, we're not talking about any of these things. And, and, and then when you step, step back and look at the economic trajectory, trajectory we're currently on, when you look at lowering you know, rates going up and inflation, the problem it is, and then you look at our markets, trading at 22, 24 times earnings, somewhere in there. I can't remember if I was looking at the NASDAQ or the S&P, but one of them is still at 24 times earnings. Guys, that's 50% overvalued on a historical basis to the average. Okay, so... When I hear people talk about this ugly year, boy, we've priced in a lot of bad news. Since when was 24 times earnings bad news priced in? I, I, <laughs> it's just one, I'm sorry, right? I, valuations and, and proper price is subjective in nature, but that statement is just categorically incorrect. There is no bad news priced into this market. It was just more insanely priced going into this year, right? We're just less insane. We're not cheap by, again, 50% with declining earnings, with signs of economic slowdown all around us, right? With interest rates moving up. You want to tell me that 24 times earnings is pricing in bad news? And people are like, well, Zach, why are markets going up now? And what's going up? I, I just continue to go back to that whole bear market rally thing, guys. This is what happens. If you don't believe me, go look at 2000. Go look, at, go look at the NASDAQ from 2000 to 2002 and see how many false dawns you had. Go look at the S&P 500 NASDAQ Dow from 2008 to 2009. You'll see the same thing. Everybody forgets. Historically, people look back at market crashes like they happened in three days. They didn't. You go back to the summer of 2008. Remember when I was telling you, I think it was last week, where I was saying, look, I'm not saying the set- setup is the same. It's not. It's very different. But... This summer reminds me a lot of the summer of 2008 because go back to what was the first real sign that there was a massive problem. There were other signs by other mortgage lenders going under, but Bear Stearns went under during the summer. And I think the market rallied like 10 to 12% after that. Okay. People forget. You think, look, look back on it. You're like, that can't be. Why would they do that? Bear market rallies. And It was also coming off a housing boom. There was a lot of economic confidence that was misplaced. I don't think now is, I think now is that kind of scenario on, on steroids. And one of the things that makes that scenario on steroids right now is the last 15 years. We've said it a hundred times. What is the only way you lost over the last 15 years investing? It was not buying dips in tech. So what are people going to do? They're going to keep buying dips in tech. So I, you know, these disconnections in the market, they make sense when you step back and look at it. But then you take that global picture, right? You consider what's going on in China. You consider what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. You look at what's going on in energy markets. And I think there's a big opportunity right there. I don't think the low end, you know, again, looking at that, looking at the uh, macroeconomic picture, I don't think the low is in for oil. Does it make sense? No. 
But like I said, if oil gets down and plums the depths of 70 to 65, you know, we'll have to see what happens then. I, I think it's a stretch to think it can get there. I, I, that's kind of my outside guess. Having said that, we know that everything in this market is extreme, right? So if I think it can go to 60, it could probably go to 50. But long term, I still love it. Why? Because if it takes a significant hit from here, the little exploration and the little bit of, you know, new production that's slated to come online, it's going to dry up, right? You think that there's no production or no expansion going on right now? Take WTI oil to 65 or 70. You'll see drill rigs just drying up. Why? Because they're not going to go spending money. If the price drops 65 or 70, all the stuff they'd be drilling is basically uneconomical. Can you imagine being a CEO of one of those companies going out to raise money for a drilling program and be like, yeah, we're going to drill. Oil's currently at 65. Our cost to produce this is 85. Who wants in? Right? So I, I think that there's weakness ahead for oil, but I think it just backlogs the problems and I think it makes the future price eventually go higher now gas is a different scenario um and now guys nat gas is a wild animal again if you've listened to the show i've told Pete, you know you've heard me say be very careful all you need to do is watch nat gas for a week to understand what i'm talking about you know four to seven percent swings intraday or that, that's totally normal happens all the time it, i mean it is a wild animal um but nat gas is a different deal to me i you have Russia shutting off virtually all supplies and flows of that gas to Europe. That means it's got to come from us to us in Canada. Well, what does that mean? That means the price. And I, 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 again, there is no guarantee in this business, but I look at the setup in that gas and I cannot understand how we're not going to go substantially higher this, this winter. Now there's a lot of things that could interfere with that. Weather will have a big deal. If weather is perfect this winter in, in, in Europe, I think you can get through with mild gains. You know, maybe Nagas here gets back up to 10 to 12. If you get a rough winter in Nagas, I mean, place your bets. It, it could really do anything. Um, but, you know, you just you still have this massive divergence between the price of Nagas here in the U.S. and the price in Europe. Um, you know, we refer to that on a chart as open alligator jaws, right? Where one thing is going down and one thing is going up and eventually those things have to meet back together. So, you know, what I would think is really logical is that for nat gas prices here in the United States to rise substantially and pull back in Europe and to find an equilibrium, you know, kind of like Europe, kind of like oil, right? You've got different oil. You've got WTI, WTI oil, which is West Texas Intermediate. It's basically a the, the metric of U.S. oil, and then you have Brent, which is essentially the, the, the price of European oil. Typically, Brent's a little higher, but they move together. They don't, you know, it's about, a, you know, average is about a 2 to 4% gap. You know, I, you've got like $8 nat gas here and $30 nat gas or $40 nat gas, something like that in Europe, right? That's just insane. So what happens over time? Those things are going to merge, right? They're going to come together, which means that nat gas prices here are going to go up over time. Barring an anomaly, you know, um, barring an ex exogenous, you know, um, event of some kind. But the other intriguing thing is you go look at nat gas companies. I, they're in the same category as oil. They're just dirt cheap. They're just dirt cheap. And, you know, I know that that has a lot of people scratching their heads. Zach, you know, they're still dirt cheap and tech is so expensive. People are buying that. These are times that try men's souls, meaning when you buy things really cheap, the best investments are the ones that are the scariest to get into. It's just that way. And when you buy it, don't expect the nonsense to end. It's not going to end. I've told you guys about these oil companies we own that, that a 20% drop in oil has zero impact on their financials because they're fully hedged. Stock drops 45% anyway. It's insanity. You want one that's really interesting? Go look at the price action of a company with the, the call letters CPG, Crescent Point Energy. Go look at their last earnings announcement and look at the stock action. It's crazy. But, you know, here we are. So anyway, um, we, we kind of did a combination there, actually. We kind of combined those two things. Um, I want to finish up with, with a couple more macro um, details here let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up with a short segment to tie up our macro um, economic segment to analyze because i want to go over the pc numbers a little bit more but as always guys 
if you're seeing these things and yet you're talking to your financial advisor, everything's fine. Markets always come back, blah, 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 blah. And you're sitting there going, why not? But shouldn't we take measures if that isn't the case? Because things don't look really good and you're scratching your head and not really understanding. And you were down big earlier this year, but they're telling you, oh, it's coming back. And then you're looking, if all these things make sense to you and they should, right? Give us a call, right? If you, if you recognize that things look really dicey and prices aren't reflecting that and you think that there's really some need for some risk management going forward and you don't have that or your risk defense is that you know your defensive part of the portfolio is bonds that are getting hit just as hard as stocks guys please give us a call 866-779-RISK 866-779-RISK there's a better way guys we can drastically lower your risk our average client is down between zero to three percent on the year Okay, we've we've gone up, had a nice good run the last week and a half. Markets go up, we go up with them. The difference is, is we are hedged and protected against the worst outcome. Okay, we can increase your upside while reducing your risk, substantially reducing your risk and reducing your cost. It's a no brainer. Give us a call 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. We'll be right back after we take a quick break. Don't leave. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC. LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Okay, as always, you get me talking energy and macro. I went over the time slots in the previous two segments, so I've got to make this really short. Um, so we talked about what was going on in uh, China. We've got to watch that scenario, guys, because that's one of those types of things that every other economic indicator will be brushed aside if that situation metastasizes into something worse. Okay, so that that will take center stage. Again, I look at the sounds coming out of China. I look at their posturing. I look at U.S. markets. It's not even close to being even priced in. U.S. markets really don't see it as much of a risk right now. Um, I would take the other side of that bet. I, I just, again, I just, when you look at the world, you look at the direction of earnings, you look at all the macroeconomic indicators, you look at the dollar index, you look at rates, you look at inflation, you look at everything. And then you look at the U.S. market trading at the valuations that are, it just, I just can't get there. I just can't get there. Uh, and it's why I continue to believe that this is a bear market rally. Now, I mentioned earlier where we thought these things could run. The 200-day moving average on the NASDAQ is still 13,500. I think the NASDAQ could push as high as 13,800. I'm not saying it's going to. I certainly don't think it should in this environment. But you could push as high as 13,500, 13,800 and still be considered a bear market rally. Okay, so if you're all bared up and you're shorting this, don't be positive this is the top. Because like I said, you could, you could push. Now, every point it goes higher, you're going to hear the din and cry of people saying, oh, it's a new bottom. You already hear people saying it's the beginning of a new bull market. Um, they could be right. Here's what I would say to those people talking about it could be the beginning of a new bull market. Bull markets typically do not start when rates start to rise, when real estate as it is at an all-time high in terms of cost to the consumer, and when profits are at all-time highs. That is not usually the beginning 
of a bull market, especially when the market is valued at 24 times earnings. Does that mean they are guaranteed to be wrong? No, we never know for sure, right? Um, let's see where else we, and, and again, I think the biggest lagging indicators we've got to look at outside of China, I think PC sales are really showing you some interesting stuff. I think tech layoffs are really the big one. Um, again, job market looks strong. It's, it's a good jobs report, but I think you're just seeing the full bounce back from COVID. This isn't growth, right? Um, I think this is kind of more of a return to normal, which is a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but I just continue to believe we need to be very careful. And I really like the way we're positioned. Sure, I wish we were up more, but we're positioned in a way that if the market continues to move higher, we'll go high with it. If we are correct and this is a bear market rally, we're pretty de- we're pretty defensed against it. We- we've still got some hedges in place um, and we're still sitting on some cash. And I just think that this is a market, I, especially if your proximity to retirement's right around the corner, guys. Your biggest risk is not missing out on the next 10% rally. Your biggest risk is going broke. Okay, so take a moment to sober yourself up. Look at this market. Look at what they've done this year. Look at the valuations and the economics and sit there and go, am I willing to risk another 30 or 40 percent drop because I'm chasing a bounce over the next six months with all these other macroeconomic indicators? I don't think that's a wise decision. I don't think it should be for anybody. I mean, if you're 25, 35, sure, go for it. Keep pouring money in your 401k over the long run. That'll be worth it. Right. And if the market crashes, keep pouring money in. If you're nearing retirement, for God's sakes, guys, look at the environment you're in. Look at all these things we're talking about. What do you need? You need a portfolio that if markets continue higher, you'll go up with it. You'll participate. You'll be making money. It's great. If they don't, if these scenarios play out, you're fine too, right? Because it's not retirement isn't about gambling. It's about certainty. If you don't have that level of certainty, call us, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website. You guys know the drill. We got to go. We're over time. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week with a great interview on the docket. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.